What is it that robs you your joy? What what are the things that right now make joy really hard? I've I've heard from a number of people that about what 2020 is like, and we just kind of honestly, a lot of us crack a joke like 2020 can go away. There's so many things. I, instead of joy, I think I would maybe describe most people's attitude these days as as anxious. So many things to be anxious about currents in our culture so that some people look at the world around us the stories in the news and are like i feel like our world is burning down around us i feel like the things that i always knew and loved the things i trusted in or maybe it's relationships that feel like they're burning down relationships that feel like they're crumbling and you don't know where to turn you don't know what's going to happen And so like relationships that are broken are the things that rob your joy. It could be a job situation as lots of jobs have been uh, eliminated, slowed down. The, the the future looks really really uncertain, the school year looks uncertain, all of these things out ahead of us look so uncertain. So when we describe 2020, maybe we describe it with any as anything but a joy-filled year. So What does God's word have to say to those of us struggling to hold on to joy somehow? Struggling to grab on and latch on to joy. Our minds go to things that we're anxious about. Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We've actually been slowly going through Ephesians chapter 1, and today I want to show you a few verses that really address that this issue of joy. Like the reasons for the joy that we should have that we do have. So, we're, today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. Verse 7 says, "In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose." which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to find the the joy that you have called us to. Help us to become joyous people. In Jesus name. Amen. Verse 7 actually modifies verse 3. We last week we looked at verses 3 to 6. And verse 3 says blessed be God like praise God and it's like kind of leaning in. And verse 7 like is continuing that thought and giving more reasons to praise God, more reasons to bless God. And what I want to show you here today in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10 is that we are called to rejoice with great joy because we have many gifts to enjoy and to look forward to. Many gifts to enjoy and to look forward to. And I want to show you three gifts to rejoice in. from this passage today. Three gifts to rejoice in. Verses 7 and 8 tell us to rejoice because you are you are and will always be free. Verses 7 and 8 tell us to rejoice because you are and will always be free. Look at it with me. Verse 7. In him in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom 
and insight. This uh, sets up what is another reason for us to praise God, to be filled with joy as we like look towards God and as we lean in towards God. It's that we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins starts. Redemption is this word for buying back, for buying our freedom. And he says, we have a reason to rejoice because we have been bought from our enslavement to our sin. We have been bought. We have been set free. We have been redeemed. And then how does he describe that redemption through his blood? The forgiveness of our sins. What's so interesting is Paul in Ephesians is going to expand redemption through his blood. And he's going to expand it in verses 9 and 10. He's going to make it bigger. But he he starts by saying, the thing that you're experiencing right now is the actual forgiveness of your sins. We have redemption through his blood and the down payment of that. The first taste of that, the appetizer of that is the forgiveness of our sins. And so like part of the call to us in rejoicing is to say that if I am in Christ, my sins are actually forgiven. I'm not just looking forward to salvation one day. I am actually right now forgiven, set free from trespasses, sins, from the things that I have done that I should not have done. I'm forgiven for all the times that I didn't do the thing I should have done. I actually have the experience now of freedom from those. Freedom from that guilt. Freedom from that shame. I don't know about you, but like it's so easy to be caught going, here is the worst version of myself. Here I am putting the worst version of myself on display. Woe is me. Who can save me? And this passage says Jesus can We can actually know that redemption right now. But then he describes how we measure that. He describes how we measure that. uh, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Measured by the, the amount of grace that God has. And so the, the, the freedom that we now have and will always have and can look forward to is measured by the riches of God's grace. And then he describes which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. God didn't do this not knowing what we were like. And so this passage tells us you are and will always be free. If you are in Christ, you are and you will always be free. And so we have reason to rejoice in the present, that we actually experience forgiveness now, that God has actually lavished his grace on us, given us, just piled it on to us. It's so easy to, to begin to think of God giving sparing gifts, just writing out just enough to cover the last thing, that last sin, that last, th- that last guilt. But this passage tells us that the God who is rich in grace has lavished that on us. And we are even experiencing that right now. And we can know that in the present, this is done in God's infinite wisdom. That his forgiveness of us, his redemption of us, his buying us back, his releasing us from our sin is done in his wisdom. What do we have to look forward to from this? Rejoice because you will always be free. That if this is measured by his riches, then there is no sin in my life, if I am in Christ, that is going to somehow take me outside the measure of God's grace. 
There is nothing that's going to take me outside the measure of his riches. There is nothing that's going to take me outside his wisdom. And so I can look forward into the future and say, I am always going to be free because I am in Christ. I am always going to be free because I am in Christ. And this passage calls us to orient our praise around this. Right now I'm free and I'm always going to be free. And so when, when those thoughts come in, tempting us to despair over our sin, despair over our guilt, despair over our shame, this passage calls us not to just resist it, but to turn that as an occasion to praise because I am and I will always be free because I'm in Jesus. I am and I always will be free because I'm in Jesus. And so I am going to lean in to praise God because he's the one that's done it. Romans chapter 7 uh, addresses this just a little bit. Romans chapter 7, verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law that has redeemed. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Some of you today need to hear that, that we can rejoice because we are and always will be free. We are and always will be free because we are in Christ. These days have been hard and the joy, the days can be filled not with joy, but with doubt and despair and with anxiety and with worry and with anger and with rage. And this passage calls us to wait, 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 wait. What's actually true is that I am and I always will be free. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We have it. Not we might have it. Not we one day will have it, but we have redemption through his blood. I am and always will be free is the message that we need to tell ourselves. Maybe you actually don't need that for just you today. You need that for somebody in your life. You need that for a loved one. You need that for a spouse that's struggling and that needs to hear the truth that if you're in Christ, you are and always will be free, no matter what you're struggling with right now. Maybe it's a friend of yours that needs to be reminded, if you're in Christ, you are and always will be free. I know that this, this guilt is crushing. But I want you to know that if you're in Christ, you are and always will be free. Maybe you're listening today and you're going, Joe, what are you talking about? I, I can know that I am free, that this redemption is mine. You keep saying, if I am in Christ, then I am and always will be free. The Bible tells us that God made the world and he made it good. And he looked at Adam and Eve and all of creation and said, it is very good. And he gave Adam and Eve one rule. One said, do not eat the fruit of this tree. And Adam and Eve said, no, we will not follow your one rule. We do not trust you. We are going to set up our own kingdoms. We are going to live our own way. We see that even in the youngest children beginning to turn away I'm going to do my own thing. The Bible says, calls that sin. And Adam and Eve and every person after them has turned away from God in sin and in rebellion. The Bible says that God will one day punish all sin. That the wages of sin is death. It is, spirit, it is physical death and spiritual death forever separated from God in a place called hell. Instead of the Bible stopping there and saying, look what you've done. The Bible tells us that God came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to new life so that everybody who turns away from sin, repenting of sin, a changing of the mind about that rebellion we have loved, and turn and trust in Jesus alone to save us, that those are brought back into relationship with God, their punishment is taken away, and this passage becomes true. Rejoice because you are and always will be free. 
If you have questions about that, please leave a comment. Reach out to me. Go to our church website at belgiumchurch.com because I want you to know what it means to be free and to know that you can always be free. So that instead of days filled with doubt and despair and guilt and shame and a lack of joy, instead we can rejoice with great joy because we are and always will be free. The second reason, the second gift that we rejoice in, verses 9 and 10 tell us to rejoice because God told us his plan for us and everything. Rejoice because God has told us his plan for us and everything. Verse 9 says, making known to us the mystery of his will, the secret of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 9 starts with making known to us. God is made known. It uses this word mystery. Some translations might say secret, but it, when I think of a mystery, it's something unsolved. When I think of a secret, it's something that don't, nobody knows. What the sense of this is that it's a mystery that's now been solved, a secret that's now been revealed to us. So that as we, the Old Testament saints read through and lived through the reality of the Bible, there were promises of God that they could not understand, they could not figure out. And But once we get to the gospel, once we see Jesus, then God reveals the secret. God reveals the mystery, makes it known. It's now solved. We don't have to wonder, and we're not just trusting in a promise. Now we are actually trusting in a person who is the fulfillment of all of the promises. So the secret, the mystery, is now revealed to us. So he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. What is that mystery? What is that secret that he's now that He's now revealed to us so we can actually know what God is up to? It's to unite all things in Christ. To sum up all things in Christ. To bring everything under his lordship and his leadership and his authority. To make everything right so that the perfect ruler is ruling his people. So that all of every tear is wiped away from our eyes. So that all injustice is done away with. This passage says that God's plan is to unite all things under Christ, to sum up all things under him, to bring it under his authority. This passage tells us to rejoice because we know what God's plan is for everything. And it's summarizing this word, these words in Christ. So how can this cause us to rejoice in the present? It's that we actually can know God's will. We actually can know what God is up to. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's knowing what's coming next that's so hard. Like not knowing when the next shoe is going to drop, when the next bad thing is going to happen, or when the next good thing is going to happen. When we don't know what step we should take, we don't know how things are, how the story is going to play out, it becomes really overwhelming. But this passage says that in the present, we can actually know what God is up to. That no matter what we see in the news, no matter what we see on social media, no matter what happens in our personal lives, what happens on our blocks, God is at work summing up all things in Christ. That is the secret of his will. He is doing all things to bring everything under Christ, to unite all things in him. And not only that, that, but we also can know from this. We can know what God's attitude is towards us. God has actually made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has displayed in Christ. He has displayed for us what he is up to in Christ. And so what we can know in the present 
is that God's attitude and plan for our lives is best defined in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We can know God has displayed, he has set forth for us, this is what I'm up to in your life. I am, I am actually for you. I am actually giving myself to you. I am the God who feeds those who have no food. I am the God who heals those who are sick. I am the God who calls out the self-righteous and humbles the self-righteous. I am the God who loves to bless his people, who looks on children and women and those hurting with compassion. He's the one who's patient with stubborn disciples. We can actually know what God's attitude is towards us. We know what his plan is, and in the present, we can know that Jesus displays for me. This passage, it sets forth, displays. We can know what God is up to in our lives when we look at the man Jesus, the God-man Jesus. But not only in the present, but how in the future can we rejoice? We have much to look forward to because his plan for us, again, is based on his knowledge. He's doing all of these things, summing up all of these things in Christ based on his wisdom and his insight. God's not getting, he's not surprised by what's happening in your life or in my life. He's not surprised by what's happening in my state or in your state. He's not surprised by what's happening in my country or in your country. God is working his plan to sum up, unite all things in Christ. And he's doing that based on his perfect knowledge in all of these things. I'm reminded of a, a, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You, you go to Hobby Lobby and you'll see it on lots of plaques. It's, it's a good verse that's used all of the time. The context is a promise to Jeremiah and to Israel. But the reality is that's the story that we see throughout the Bible. As we see a God who is actually at work for the good of his people. It's what we see when we look at Genesis 3 and realize that God promises to make right what Adam and Eve have made wrong before God ever talks to Adam and Eve. He's already promising to fix it. It's what we see when we see God go to Abraham and not say, I'm going to make you a great nation if you'll obey me. God goes to Abraham and says, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to bless you, Abraham, and make you a great nation and give you as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. This is the story of the Bible as a God who makes unconditional promises, who sometimes making conditional promises, but regularly making unconditional promises of great blessing because he is up to something and he has plans for his people. And so this passage calls us to rejoice because God has told us his plan for us and for everything. God has told us his plan for us and for everything. And so that begins, I think, to shape our prayer lives in a different kind of way. When our prayer life is not just about what's happening today, but then when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are beginning to pray for this kind of thing to happen. God, we know you're summing up and uniting all things in Christ. And so right now, as I'm struggling, in this, in so and so in an area, I ask that you be doing your work to sum up all things in Christ, bringing it under his lordship. Restore relationships in light of your plan to sum up all things in Christ. This past, so then we're actually praying a prayer 
that never fails. As one of my favorite fictional preachers says, that the prayer that never fails, your will be done. This passage says, God, I want your will to be done. I want all things united in Christ. I want your plan for heaven and earth to be united and summed up in Christ, brought under his authority. God, can you do that? God, can you bring my children in Christ under your authority? God, can you bring my block in Christ under your authority? Can we begin to pray that kind of prayer and then rejoice because God has told us this is what I'm doing. And so when we look at bank accounts that get low, we have our future plans go out the window. We can rejoice because God has told us this is what I'm doing even in that. Even with that low bank account, even with those plans that have gone awry, even with that business that's failed, even with these relationships that are broken right now, God is at work summing up all things in Christ. And so we have a reason to rejoice. And the third gift that we rejoice in from this passage is we rejoice because we can be confident that nothing is going to change God's attitude toward us. This passage tells us that we can be confident, we can rejoice, and we can be confident that nothing will change God's attitude and plans for us. This is all throughout verses 7 through 10. He starts with, we have redemption through his blood. Not we might get, but we have. This is what we already have. That redemption that we have is based on God's wisdom and on his insight. The fact that the God who knows everything, past, present, and future, knows exactly what I'm going through and knows exactly what I'm going to do and go through down the road. And so his plans for me include those things. His redemption of me includes everything that he knows about me. Everything that he knows that I'm going through and I will go through. This this passage, verse 9, calls it the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, his good pleasure. God is at work in all of these things with his own knowledge, doing things by his own choice. And so we can be confident that nothing's going to change his attitude or plans for us because it's done based on his perfect knowledge. It's done based on his perfect wisdom. And this is what he's chosen to do anyway. And so we can be confident that this redemption that we have and this forgiveness that we know we, we tell ourselves about is permanent. That with this kingdom coming that we look forward to, God's not going to change his mind about those plans. God in his perfect wisdom, his perfect insight, with, his, with his riches, the riches of his grace, is lavishing those on us, working his plans to sum up all things in Christ for our good. And so we can be confident that's not going to change. And so what's the point in this passage? The point is that we can rejoice because we have redemption now and the future. We, we can know that redemption is ours now. We have a down payment. It's almost like an arrow pointing to what's coming. But instead of it just being an arrow, it's more like a, this is a taste. This is a, this is a part of the reality and it's coming down the road. An appetizer might be a good way, a better way of putting it. It's not just an arrow pointing to something, but it's actually, this is actually a taste of the meal and the party that's coming. This is going to whet your appetite for how good this is going to be. And so we can rejoice knowing that that's, this is not a tease. This is a sample that you may or may not get. This is like a down payment. This is a part of the meal that's coming. This, we can know God's attitudes and plans for us won't change. So what we experience now, the forgiveness of our sins, the redemption through his blood, the lavishing of his grace is a guarantee 
that we're going to get more of that in the future. We can rejoice with great joy because we have many gifts to enjoy and to look forward to. We don't have the whole thing right now, but what we do have is good. And so we can know that God's attitude and plans for us are not going to change. I know if, you, uh, if you're like me, you've had friends at different points that you thought you knew. And later you found out, oh, there's a whole side of them I didn't understand. Maybe something changed or maybe I just didn't really realize what they were like. They let me in and I realized, oh, this person is not who I thought they were. They don't have the integrity that they, I thought that they had. They're doing things that are hurtful and I wish that they had not done. Maybe you stood at a, in a wedding supporting somebody and then only later to find out this was not what I thought it was. This marriage and this match was not perfect like we'd all thought. Like I said, maybe it's a business partner that you've gone into business with and you thought you knew and somewhere along the road something changed and you realized this is not what I thought. And you, at that point, everything's so fractured and you go, what do I do? This passage tells us that God is not going to look at us like that. This passage tells us that God's not going to get halfway down the road with us and change his attitude because he finds out things about us that he didn't know. God's not going to get halfway through this redemption project in our lives, this renovation project to make us more and more like Jesus and go, it's not worth it. These guys are too far gone. They're too messed up. This is good news for people like you and for me. We can rejoice that God, we, because we can be confident that God's attitude and plans for us aren't going to change. We can be confident. We can feel it in our gut that today might be hard. But it's not going to surprise God and it's not going to change him. He's not going to leave us along the road. He's not going to forget about us. He's not going to change. He's not going to do something else. God's not going to be surprised by any current in our culture. No, no story in the news. No election. No tragedy is going to change his plan to sum up all things in Christ, giving us the full redemption that his son has earned on our behalf. That's good news. So that instead of going through our days dominated by anxiety and by worry and by rage, we can go through our days with rejoicing because we have many gifts to enjoy now and many gifts to look forward to. If you're like me, you hear that and go, that's a lot easier said than done. I'm supposed to rejoice because I'm free. But most often, I'm racked by, by, by guilt. I don't feel free. And I don't rejoice the way I ought to rejoice if this is actually true. Where is the good news for me? If you're like me, then I don't off, always rejoice because God's told me his plans for me and everything. Because I'm like, okay, that's great. That's way out there, God. But what about the plans for the next week, the next month, the next six months? What are you up to right now? Because it doesn't feel like things are being summed up in Christ. And so I don't rejoice in those, in those plans the way I ought to. If you're like me, then you don't rejoice just with confidence that God's attitude and plans aren't going to change. Most of the time I live with, uh, God, are, are your plans changing for me? Do I need to make my own plans for my life? 
Where is the good news for you and for me? When this passage that calls us to rejoice just exposes all the ways we don't rejoice. I'm reminded that verse 7 and 8 remind us that it is Jesus' blood that buys our redemption, not our feelings. Not how well we do at enjoying it. It's Jesus' blood that buys my redemption. And so my rejoicing doesn't buy it or earn it. I get to trust and accept and receive from Jesus his blood that buys my redemption. And as it works its way deeper into my heart, deeper into my own soul, deeper into my own reality, then I can rejoice. I'm reminded from this passage that I'm supposed to rejoice because God's told me his plan for me and for everything. And Jesus even from the cross, looked with joy at being in paradise. Now, Jesus, who was suffering in my place, had his mind fixed on being in paradise because he turned to the criminal on the cross next to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus died in my place with his mind fixed on paradise. And that's my record. That's your record if you are in Christ is the Jesus that rejoiced even from the cross for me. I'm reminded that God's knowledge, perfect knowledge of me and of everything, combined with Jesus' life and death, means that nothing is going to change God's attitude or plans for me. God's knowledge of me and Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in my place mean that there is nothing that's going to come in between me and God's attitude and plans for me. And that can be true for you if you are in Christ. So then this passage doesn't just call us as a law to rejoice. It begins to give us something on the inside that causes us to rejoice from the inside out. I want you to imagine what kind of difference that makes. Imagine the kind of difference it makes when on a a deep heart, soul level, we know that we are and always will be free. That creates a kind of life, a kind of praise, independent of the things that are happening around us. It allows us to rejoice even in the hardest circumstances. Because we know that I have a down payment, an appetizer of the redemption that I will get in full one day. Imagine the difference that it makes when deep down in our hearts, we can know God has told us his plans for us and everything. And we begin to rejoice. Imagine the kind of difference that makes for in the day-to-day for you and for me. When we go, God has told me his plans. And my to-do list doesn't dominate it. The way I finish it at the end of the day doesn't dominate it. God has told me his plans for me. Imagine the difference that it makes when we can rejoice because we know that God's attitude and plans for us aren't changing. They're not changing based on how we feel. They're not changing based on what we do. They are steadfast because we are in Christ. And I think that makes all the difference. Let's pray. God, we, we, we want this to be true. Get this down deep in our souls. Give us these reasons to rejoice. Remind us and help us to remind one another that we have many gifts to enjoy and to look forward to. In Jesus' name, amen.